So, uh, <clears throat> so you'll see this is a little different from what you're used to, um, what you're used to seeing up here. Uh, you know, this it's not just the last day of the year, but it's also the last day uh, for the rounds of alls, at least for three months. Uh, Gary and Joy and their family are speaking. I don't know how to interpret that, but uh, yeah. Uh, they're going to be heading out on a, a three-month sabbatical starting January 1st. And questions have been coming in, um, and you've either asked Gary or you've asked me or someone else, like, so what is, what's this all about? What's the purpose for it? What, is, what, what are they going to be doing while they're gone? And we thought that this would be a great opportunity to uh, address some of those questions so that we're all kind of on the same page um, and, and so that we all understand um, uh, the meaning and the purpose behind it. And it is actually, it is a very meaningful thing and a very purposeful thing, as you will uh, soon find out. So I have a, um, a series of questions that, uh, for Gary, and uh, we're going to go through these. And we'll just start from the very top, the first one being, what is a sabbatical? We've, we've heard the term. Um, if we're not, for those that aren't quite clear on it, what exactly is that? Those of you are kids, when I was growing up and when I was learning how to read, they would give us these books where it would, you know, it would just say these kind of innocuous things like, you know, uh, see Tom, see Tom run, uh, see Jane, see Jane. things. So anything that felt adventurous to me, I loved reading that stuff. I didn't necessarily love going to school, but I did love learning. And so a lot of a sabbatical is where uh, I get to spend a lot of time reading things that I wouldn't otherwise read. Um, And so uh, typically when we think of, at least when I think of a sabbatical, I usually think about it in more of an academic setting and like at a university or in a college and typically what they do in an academic setting is professors are oftentimes encouraged on uh, uh, every seven years to uh, give a year from their regular work to invest themselves into things like, um, like research or like writing, like for journals or for books, and uh, sometimes writing curriculum for a school. And, uh, and it's become a really popular thing more and more in our world. It's become more popular in the business world. We see a number of companies uh, here locally, Genentech and Vacaville, they do this where they give their employees uh, these uh, regular sabbaticals. And recently I met a, a gentleman at a dinner party uh, who works for a company called Morningstar, and they do it every four years. They'll do a sabbatical. So in a church context, uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit different from like a university context. Uh, in uh, a church context, uh, well, first of all, you don't go on a one-year sabbatical, okay? Well, that's not true. I, I do know of someone who did do that, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the uh, paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. Some of you may be familiar with that. He did a one-year sabbatical. But typically, 
that's not what you do. Uh, typically, they're around three months. I have one buddy of mine who did one for six months one time, but typically it's around three months. And in a, in a church context, a sabbatical isn't focused on a product uh, like um, uh, like a book, although sometimes pastors will do that kind of thing. But typically in uh, a church context, a sabbatical is focused on a person. And so whereas like in school, you're kind of training the head uh, with lots and lots of information, in a sabbatical, you're more training the heart. And so it's more, uh, it, there's time for rest, but there's time for reading, for writing, reflection, uh, that kind of thing. So that's, that's kind of what a sabbatical is. Okay. So there's different kinds and different fields of study for different professions. What is your specific one going to look like? Okay, so my sabbatical is going to look like on the front end, uh, I'm definitely going to be taking some time just to rest. I need to recover. And uh, so there will be a built-in rest element. Uh, my intent is to spend a lot of time reading. And I have, uh, I was looking through the books that I wanted to read the other day, and I have a list of about 100 books, which there's no way I'm going to read that in a sabbatical, okay? I'm not going to read that in a year. But um, if you can do that, I applaud you. My focus isn't necessarily on reading a certain number of books. My focus is on reading the books that I really feel like I need to give some time and attention to, but read them slowly. Uh, because my goal is not to get through books. My goal is to really metabolize what I'm reading and to digest it and to... Um, and to internalize it, to assimilate it into my life. And so I'm going to be doing a lot of reading. Uh, I'll be doing some writing, reflection. Um, and the real aim is for spiritual revitalization. And uh, so uh, I'm also going to be taking some time. Um, every day, uh, Joy and I are going to have uh, at least uh, a short coffee date every day as well as our regular weekly date. But I intend to spend some time, more time than I... Uh, typically have the opportunity to with my kids. Uh, so I'm probably going to drive up to, if I can, if Caleb will let me, I'm going to drive up to Sacramento once a week uh, to have lunch with him, stuff like that. So that's kind of what a lot of what I'm going to be doing. All right. Now, are you going to be spending all of your time here? Are you going to be spending, are you be traveling a little bit? Where, are you gonna, where will you be spending the duration of it? Okay, so this is what's going on right now in the Ron's of All House. Faithy is... Uh, Faithy is in the, in the process of converting Caleb's bedroom into her bedroom. Uh, she's been using it as her closet with lots of stuff in there. And I said I was going to turn Caleb's room into my office and I wanted her stuff out. So she said, well, how about we compromise? I take Caleb's room, turn it into my room, keep my stuff in there, and, uh, and then you can have my bedroom and convert that to your office. So Caleb's room is a little bit bigger, so that's going to be Faith's room. I'm going to be converting her bedroom into my office. I'm going to have, you know, a desk there, one that can stand or also that you can sit at. Uh, like what they have at the Lincoln office, Steve, I might, I might, I might draft you into helping me set it up, okay, because you've done it before. But uh, I'll have that. I'll have a little bookcase in there. I'll have uh, a reading chair. And, uh, but uh, so a lot of it will just be in my home office. Uh, I will be spending some time. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go back and see my mom, my sister. My mom is 84 years old, and she's still very alert, and she is healthy for an 84-year-old. But I really don't know how many times I'm going to get to go back and spend time with my mom. And so uh, I want to make every minute with my mom count that I can, so I'll be spending some time with my mom, my sister. 
and um, and uh, I, and then I really want to get away for at least a few days with Joy. But the, we're going to go down uh, in March. We're going to take a few days to go down to Azusa Pacific. Uh, Faithy has been accepted into the school and also into their nursing program. We found out this week. Um, yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. We're really proud of her, really, really proud of her, excited for her. She's gotten a couple of scholarships as well, which is really, really helpful. So we're going to go down there and, uh, and do that. And then uh, Caleb and I, we'll see. We'll see if we can make this work. But we planned not a long bike trip, but a short bike trip that we want to do together. And uh, so we're, you know, that'll be one of the things I'm going to do. So it's going to look like time, the time that I do spend traveling will be mostly family-type stuff. And uh, I was going to try to go down to Mexico, visit some friends of ours who are missionaries there that we as a church support. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to shift into ministry mode if I do that. And that's really probably not real healthy for me right now. So uh, I've decided I'm going to scrap that part as much as I would like to do it. I just think I need to really focus on spiritual revitalization. And I need to focus, focus on the time that I do spend away. It's, it's being with my family, doing things with my family I wouldn't ordinarily have the opportunity to do. So speaking of shifting out of ministry mode, where are you going to be going to church during the uh, sabbatical? We're going to be going uh, to uh, uh, what we're okay. This is me. This is me. Actually, this isn't just me. A lot of pastors who are are pastors. What does that mean? Pastors who are pastors. You, you don't. You don't. You don't go into pastoral. You go into pastoral ministry because you're a pastor. You have the heart of a pastor. You, you, you don't have a pastor's heart because you're a pastor. You, you, you become a pastor because you have a pastor's heart. And the problem that a lot of us have as pastors is when we are in our home church, we put on our pastor hat. Does that make sense? So it's like you don't expect me to put on my pastor's hat. You're not going to ask me to put on my pastor's hat, but I'm going to put it on. That's what I do, you know. And... Uh, and so it's a little bit easier to leave the pastor's hat off when you're in a church where you're not the pastor. And, uh, and so we're going to spend a lot of time worshiping with our adult kids, with Caleb and Cass, uh, in their home churches, both in Elk Grove and also in, in Davis. So uh, that's where we're going to be worshiping. And, and this, that's really important, and just to have a, a really fast thing to, to say about that. Carolyn and I, we did a sabbatical several years ago, and we went to a different church every week, visiting churches with pastors that we knew and we loved. We were heading to Spring Hills Church in Santa Rosa mm-hmm. on our last Sunday. Mm-hmm. There was a race mm-hmm. at Sonoma. Mm-hmm. Traffic was horrible, so oh, we turned around. Yeah. We ended up going to New Life Church. Pastor John Harris, love him, love that church. We walk in, we see someone we know. The first thing they said was, oh, are you guys going to church here now? <laughs> Squash that rumor. Yeah. So it was just like kind of awkward, right? So there's a real practical, well, you've already pointed out several practical reasons, but there's another one because um, you don't want to hear that, do you? Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. So um, you don't want the rumor mill to start. So, uh, so okay, so you're going to be, Staying in town mostly, chances are we're going to be running into you at Rayleigh's or at the movies or Target. Uh, maybe Joy will see Joy at Target. So when we see you, should we run and hide behind the Wonder Bread or should we 
engage with you. Well, actually, some of you should run and hide. No, just kidding. Okay. Not, not, not because of you, but because of me, all right? Uh, no, actually, you know, kids, let me talk to you for a moment here. If I can speak to the kids. When, if you see me at Rayleigh's or Target or someplace like that, I want you to run up to me, and I want you to give me a high five or a fist bump, all right? Because it is always a joy to see you guys. I love being around our kids. And uh, I want you to, to come up. I want to find out how you're doing. I want to find out how school is going. And uh, so I want you to come to me. And moms and dads, uh, I, you know, you're our friends. We love you guys. Please come over and say hello. Don't, don't, don't feel like you have to hide from us. I'm not going to hide from you, and I don't want you hiding from us. This is what I'm going to ask you to do, though. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. If you hear me, see me, Beginning to put on my pastor's hat as I'm talking with you, uh, we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have a code word. What's a good code word? Uh, Geronimo. Geronimo. Geronimo is our code word. So if I start asking ministry-related questions, or if I start making ministry-related comments, just say Geronimo. All right. And, and, and I don't think it's going to be you, but if you start doing it, I'll say, Geronimo. And what that means is when I'm back from sabbatical, we're going to talk about this. And, uh, but, but between now and then, it's Geronimo. Is that, is that cool? Okay. That's our new code word, Geronimo. Can we put that on the website? Yeah, sure. Okay, all right. Yeah, get it on Facebook and everything. So you're going to be gone, and... Um, I think it's important that everyone knows who is going to lead the church and who's going to keep us on track with our mission and our vision and our, our plan for 2020. So tell us about who's going to do that. Okay. Uh, he's a really neat guy. If you haven't met him before, I would like you to meet him. His name is Jesus. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Jesus has been leading his church now for about 2,000 years, and uh, he's going to be around. And that's why we're doing 90 Days with Jesus. He'll be around. So you don't need to be concerned about me being gone because Jesus is here. Uh, but besides Jesus, uh, we've, you know, it's, it's really the people who are already leading in our church. It's people like, well, it's like Mary. She doesn't want me to mention her. But, you know, if it's sound-related and you want to help with sound, talk to Mary. If it's, if it's or excuse me, not sound, no multimedia. If it's sound, talk to Eric. If it's greeters, you want to volunteer, you want to be involved in helping people feel welcome. You talk to Dave Tyner. If it's you know, if it's refreshments, you talk to you talk to Sharon. If if it's children's ministry, Kimberly's doing a fantastic job leading our children and leading that ministry. And you talk to Kimberly. If it's if it's I'm, I'm missing stuff. Jen uh, is in charge of our upcoming Easter egg hunt. You would talk to to her. If you need pastoral counsel, uh, then uh, then you would talk to to Matt. Uh, if you are interested in being a part of the worship band, whatever, uh, again, it's Matt. It's student ministries, it's Matt. If it's office-related, uh, it's Matt. No, if it's office-related, if it's office-related, um, you know, or if it's financial, Steve functions in the role of being uh, our director of finances as a church, and he also fills the role of being uh, the um, um, uh, office manager, and he's kind of the executive side of leadership there. If it's bookkeeping, talk to Tessa. So what, whatever you need, we have 
people in place. By the way, they've been in place for a really long time. And they're doing a great job. And I honestly think they'll continue to do a great job while I'm away. I don't, I don't think um, – I, I think the people we have are fantastic people. And uh, so, you know, uh, you know, talk to one of them. Okay. So when you're gone, what is the primary focus of our church going to be? What are we going to be uh, majoring in? All right. Can anybody tell me what our focus is going to be? 90 Days with Jesus. Yeah, you already know what our ministry focus is. That's good. I, I love that you already know our ministry focus. It's 90 days with Jesus. See, what we want to do is we want to be in the Word of God every day for 90 days. We want to read through the first 90 chapters in the New Testament. And every one of those chapters features Jesus in a new way. And it, it, it's going to take you all the way through the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, the first chapter. And uh, so you're going to be reading a chapter every day. And we've got these Bible reading journals, prayer journals over here on the back table uh, with the little Christmas trees on it. And uh, it, if you haven't picked one up, please sign up. Pick one up today. And you're going to be reading that. And then also at this table we have where you can sign up to be in a group. And one of the things that's really exciting is we're going to have a group on Mondays that's going to be led by, by Tessa that will involve uh, some stretching, exercise, yoga, but also with the reading of Scripture and reflecting on and meditating on Scripture as you do that. Then on Tuesday nights, uh, Eric and Elsa Clausen are going to be leading a group. Uh, on Wednesdays during the day, uh, we've got Kathy Gray, uh, who's fantastic, will be leading our women's group uh, for anybody who wants to do that. On Thursday night, uh, we've got Steve and Sandy leading their group on Fridays. This is the group I would be in if I were going to be here over 90 days because on Fridays, the Protovinskys in their 90 Days with Jesus group, they're going to eat every time they meet. And I'm like, you know, that's like fantastic, all right? So uh, we've got that on Saturdays. John has been meeting with our men, and, and some of the men are going to be going through this together. But what's going to happen is you're reading uh, – and, and every day you are encountering Jesus in a special way. And then you're coming together and discussing that in your groups. And then you come here on Sunday mornings. And you're going to get to hear from guys like Wally Galgan. You're going to hear from guys like P.C. Walker and others. And what they're going to do is they're going to be preaching to you from the scriptures that you're reading. And what's going to happen, and this is really, really cool, is that I know you love me. I know that many of you like like it when I preach, teach. Some of you maybe not as much as others. But, but what's going to happen is when you hear from someone who's a little bit different from me, you're going to hear things in a fresh way. They, you know, they're going to tell you things, and it's like all of a sudden it's like you hear it. I, I may have been saying something very similar to you, but you're going to hear it in a fresh way, and it's going to have a real impact on you. So the 90 Days with Jesus uh, accompanied with that will be ramping up to our, uh, our, our uh, community uh, Easter egg hunt and in Easter uh, in in April. So you know that's going to be the ministry focus uh, in that first quarter of of 2020. Okay. Let's make it a little bit more personal right now. How is this sabbatical going to benefit you personally? Okay. Yeah, and that's a really good question. And I want to talk about how it benefits me. I think it's probably pretty obvious for most of you, but just in case it's not. I want to comment to that, but I also want to talk about how it's really, really beneficial for our church. So I'm going to hit two questions with one answer here if I can. 
uh, with regards to me, um, uh, first of all, the burnout rate of pastors um, is really, really high. I don't know if you know that, but a lot of, a lot of, I just recently saw a good friend of mine from seminary breaks my heart, breaks my heart. Just walked away from ministry, and uh, it, it, you know, and he's been in this as long as I have, and it, it just always breaks my heart when I watch a guy. Uh, he didn't mess up his life. It's not like he went out and had an affair, anything like that. But you know, there is tends to be a high turnover rate for pastors, and the truth is, is is not very often that you know, pastors pastor a church for 25 years. It just doesn't happen real often. Okay, uh, it does happen, and um, uh, but you know, in Fairfield, I'm one of the old timers as far as pastors are concerned. I've been here uh, doing this. We've been here for 26 years uh, doing this. And, um, uh, but, you know, what happens for pastors, uh, when they come back from sabbaticals, they come back rested, they come back spiritually refreshed with renewed zest and vision for pastoral ministry. And the truth is, I think we would see less turnover in churches. And I think we'd have healthier churches if pastors, if this was a built-in practice. And a lot of churches, a lot of the healthiest and most effective churches are healthy and effective because they build this in uh, for their pastoral staff. And, um, and so, you know, for me, uh, what it does for me is it kind of gives me an opportunity to break away from ministry and ask God a really good question. And the question I put to God the other day, and I wrote it down in my journal, is, God, how do you want me uh, to do life and ministry over the next 25 years or however much time you, 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 you give me? Uh, and, and then to hit the reset button. And, and I want to be like my father-in-law. I want to be serving God. I want to be uh, proclaiming the word of God. I want to be pointing people to Jesus. Um, I, I want to be loving and serving the people of Christ's church uh, until I die. You know, and uh, he'll be 82 uh, this January. And... I want to be faithful and fruitful for years to come. And I think that hitting the pause button allows you to kind of rethink things and hit the reset button. Make a few changes that are really good and healthy for me. Uh, I think for my family. And I think for you guys. Uh, I think that how it benefits the church, I think it benefits us a lot of ways. I think one I've already touched on is, uh, you know, you're going to hear from some really good preachers over the next three months. Now, there may be some you connect with better than others. Uh, a lot of you guys know Raleigh Galgan. Uh, Raleigh's fantastic. Uh, most of us know PC Walker. PC is fantastic. We've got a couple other guys who will be coming in who are a little bit younger, but these guys are um, you know, they're, they're good men. They're good men. They're really having an impact in their churches. And we're going to be bringing in some of those guys in. And so I think having some new people come in is going to be really good and healthy for you. Um, I think also my being away gives people the opportunity and permission to step up 
and lead, and sometimes to do things differently than you would do it if I were present. Gives you the opportunity to step up and lead and experiment a little bit. And if you crash and burn, it's no big deal. You just learn from your experience and you move forward. But I think it's going to be really good. You know, uh, I, I think that uh, one good friend of mine, a lot of you guys know or know about him, Josh Roten is the director of church planning for Next Gen Churches. And Josh and I, we talk almost every week. And, um, and um, you know, he did a sabbatical a couple of years ago. He's going through a pretty hard time. I think it's okay for me to say that. Um, but in, in his case, they did a six-month sabbatical. But he came back, and uh, it's been a couple of years now, but the church is stronger and healthier than, than it's ever been. And a lot of that was because it, it benefited not just him, but it benefited the church as a whole. And um, so I, I think that, um, yeah, so I, I think it, it – it, it, it is really healthy and helpful for pastors, but it's also really healthy and helpful for churches as well. doesn't mean you won't experience a few bumps on the road. I mean, you know, whoever takes a journey that doesn't hit a bump in the road here and there. But, you know, you know that's part of what makes the ad- adventure uh, of, you know, that's part of what makes it fun and interesting and exciting is you hit a bump here and there, but you see that God is still faithful. And... And that's the way I think we need to encounter uh, the next three months, but not just the next three months, the years ahead. So let me say this. I'm excited about taking a break. I am really excited about coming back. I'm really excited to discover what God says to me. I am. I'm just excited. And I'm excited to be able to come back and share with you some of the things that I feel like God is going to say to me. Does that make sense? So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to the sabbatical, but I'm looking forward to coming back. Uh, yeah. So, for our last questions, we're going to sh- shift gears for a little bit. So, as you know, we've been going through First Corinthians uh, for a few months now, and um, on this your uh, final Sunday before your sabbatical, do you have any uh, words to share from that book? Yeah. Uh, any closing words or final words you'd like to share from that from the scriptures yeah what i'd like to do is um wow that's great just got my water all over my uh all over my notes so better my water than sneezing over so uh no so um so yeah yeah i do i i i have a a couple things i want to share with you and if you have your bible i want to encourage you to open it up if you don't have a Bible, if you have a phone, a smartphone, have a Bible app, open up to that. But uh, I'd like you to look at, if you have a Bible app, I'd really like you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. But open up in, in the New American Standard Version if you have that. If you don't, it's no big deal. Uh, I'm going to share with you a little bit about a couple of things from a language perspective um, uh, that are important to this text. But what happens in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is that you know Paul has been going through this letter with the Corinthians where he has been speaking to them about some major concerns that the Corinthians had, but that he had as well. And when he gets to chapter 16, you know, part of the chapter, he talks about future plans. He talks about his future plans. 
He talks about Timothy's plans. He talks about the plans of a guy named Apollos. And then he also talks to the church in Corinth about what their attitude should be like towards leadership and people in leadership. But in the middle of that text, um, there is this exhortation that I think is fantastic. And uh, I think it's really good for us. And it's a great way for us to close out 2019, but it's a really great way for us to, to kick off 2020. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, be on the alert. Be on the alert. By the way, a lot of the language here is battlefield language. He says, be on the alert. Stand firm. Stand firm in the faith. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And I think in these two verses, we have five really important exhortations. Five important exhortations. And the first one is this, is be on the alert. Be on the alert. Why do we need to be on the alert? Uh, In the Bible, there are a couple of reasons. A couple of reasons that we see. That God wants us to be on the alert because we don't know the day or the hour that Jesus is coming again. Now, people, there is one thing you can know for sure. There's one thing you can know for sure. It's not what your plans are for this afternoon. Your plans this afternoon may or may not happen. Your plans could change the moment you walk out these doors and get in your car. Those plans are not certain. No plan you have ever made or ever will make is certain. Never for the rest of your life. Remember that. The only thing that we know for certain is this is that Jesus is coming again. And when we read in the Scriptures over and over again, especially through the Gospels, Jesus says, be on the alert. You do not know the day, the time, the hour that I will come again, but I am coming. And folks, when I was a kid, if I knew my dad was coming home, it changed everything. Okay? And folks... If you feel like, you know, I remember as a kid watching these movies where, you know, these soldiers would be on the verge of dying and they're fighting the enemy. And and then all of a sudden, you know, reinforcements come in. You know, that's the way it is when Jesus comes. It's reinforcements. So whatever you're going through, know this. Jesus is coming again. And the Bible says to be on the alert because we don't know the time of Christ coming. And secondly, be on the alert. Because we have a real enemy, the devil. And he is dangerous. He is very dangerous. And don't ever let anybody ever tell you differently. I've heard this verse uh, explained by certain people, and I will tell you it is a wrong explanation. Okay? The Bible says this. Be alert of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. And this is what some Bible teachers will say. A roaring lion was intended to scare the prey towards lions that were, uh, that were going to attack them from another direction. That is not the point of this text at all. The roaring lion is not that. 
The warring lion is the lion who is going to devour you. Now, why do I say that? Because if you read the verse, that's what it says. Be on the alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Your enemy has real teeth. Your enemy has, is really dangerous. And so we need to be on the alert because we don't know the hour or the time that Jesus is going to return, but he is coming, and we have a real enemy, and we need to be ready. But be on the alert. Number two, stand firm. Stand firm in the faith. You, you, we, we have got to stand firm. In the words of Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, that we read uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, that Paul says this. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Do you know what it means to be steadfast? Yeah. Be steadfast, immovable. Did I hear someone say grit? That's what it means. It means have grit in your faith. To, to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Never giving up. Never, never, ever, under any circumstance, ever, ever, ever give up. Um, why? Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. There are times when following Jesus, there are times when living the mission of Jesus feels like toil. It is hard. But what the scripture says, stand firm in the faith. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Third exhortation is this. Act like men. Act like men. And, and if you have an NIV Bible uh, or a New Living Translation, some other translations, it will translate this word. The Greek word is andrizomai, and it will translate it as be courageous. Now, part of what they're trying to do when they, when they translate it as be courageous, they're trying to be more inclusive, saying this has application for men and for women. And that's true. It does. But the New American Standard, the English Standard Version, uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, all of these translate it as act like men. And the reason why is andrizomai, the word andros or oner in Greek literally means man. And it says to act like men. And I think part of the point of this, and, and this was an issue in Corinth, and it is an issue today in Fairfield, and it is an issue. I was having this conversation a few weeks ago with a, with, with a gentleman from Hong Kong, and we were talking about the church there, some of the challenges. And, and I was sharing with this man that, that uh, some of the challenges the church has in, in, in our country. And, and, you know, in our world, more and more and more men are walking away from their responsibilities. They are. Not just outside the church, but inside the church. We have men who are walking away from our responsibilities to our wives, to our sons, to our daughters, and to our grandchildren. And sometimes we're walking away from our responsibilities in the church. And I, I think I, I see two huge problems with men in 21st century North America. And one is the abusive man. One is the abusive man. That's a problem. 
either verbally or physically abusive. That is a problem. But the other is a problem as well. It's the passive man. It's the man who's not showing up. It's the man who's content to let his his wife lead the kids spiritually when he needs to be invested with his wife in leading the kids spiritually. And we need men who act like men. We need, I, I like the way Stu Weber said this, is act like men is, yeah, it's translated as be courageous in the NIV, but there's more to being a man than being courageous. Being courageous is important, but it's more than that. It's also being tender and compassionate. I, I love the way Stu Weber talks about it. He talks about it as being a, a tender warrior, and he knows something about that because uh, he, he was awarded the Silver Star when he was in Vietnam, and he was Army Special Forces, and he knows what being a warrior means uh, on the combat field in, in spiritual combat. And, uh, but he also knows how to be tender. I, the book is a great book, Tender Warrior. But, um, but, you know, if you want to learn how to act like men, this is what you do. 90 Days with Jesus. 90 Days with Jesus. You read your Bible every day. And you answer this question. What does this chapter teach me about the nature and the character of Jesus? And Jesus is our model of what it means to act like men. And Jesus was tough. When he went in to clean out the temple courts, he was tough. But he was more than tough. He was tender. When the leper... came to Jesus and asked to be cleansed. Jesus touches him. He's tender. When the woman with a simple reputation comes to, to Jesus and begins to wet his feet with her tears and wipe his feet with her hair, Jesus doesn't recoil in disgust. He loves that woman. He doesn't exploit her. He loves her. He was tender, and he was tough. And that's what we need in our world today. We need men who act like men, like Jesus men. Number four, fourth exhortation here is be strong. Be strong. And, and folks, being strong isn't about being able to bench press more than the guy next to you. Okay? That's not what we're talking about. But what we're talking about here is we're talking about strength of character. The strength of character. We're talking about the quality that refuses to compromise where others melt. Uh, that you know, at least 13 times in the Old Testament, we see the exhortation, be strong and courageous. 13 times. And, and we need that in our world today. We need that with our men. We need that with our women. We live in a world. I believe our, I believe our nation... I believe our nation, I believe this community is at a crossroads. I do. I believe this. I believe we're at a crossroads. I do not think that we can be passive and unfeeling about what happens in this community. I believe this with all my heart. We cannot just retreat into our homes, our little favorite circles of friendship, and hope to be protected from what happens around us. We cannot do that as a community. We cannot do that as a nation. And let me tell you, there's a bright future for this community. There is a fantastic future for this community. 
And there's a fantastic future for this nation. But it depends upon you and me, men and women. Men and women of God being strong and courageous. Number five, the fifth exhortation. The fifth exhortation. Chapter 16, verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. And folks, when we do things in a loving way, um, we need that. People need to feel our love, not our judgment. And we need to let all that we do be done in love. By the way, when I love well, you know who benefits the most from that? Hopefully you guys do. Hopefully my wife does. Hopefully my kids do. But you know what? When we choose to be loving, we benefit. It is good for us. It's what we were created to do. Jesus said the most important commandment is this, to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Jesus said the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. Jesus said this. He said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Sometimes it's easy to love our friends and family. But Jesus says something really radical. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them. Uh, what Jesus says is he says, love one another. And this is the way we're supposed to do church. Love one another as I have loved you. And in the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to men and how we're supposed to do marriage together with our, our wives, that, that, that Paul instructs us as men. As he says this. He says, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Folks, let me tell you something. What happens in a home and what happens in a family when a husband loves his, his, his wife. When I was a kid growing up, my dad made his mistakes, his fair share. But he did one thing really, really well. He loved my mom. You ask my kids. You ask my kids what they remember about their papa. And I'll probably say he's really, really chubby. And he was. Um, but they'll also tell you he loved Nana. He loved Nana. A lot of problems get fixed. A lot of problems get fixed in our marriages. A lot of problems get fixed in our, our homes, our families. A lot of problems get fixed in our community. When men love their wives like Christ loves the church. Let all that you do be done in love. A lot of people... When you read through 1 Corinthians 
chapters 1 through 16, they believe that kind of the, the zenith, the high point um, of the letter is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it's a chapter that's all about what, what love really looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. Um, you know, it doesn't brag. is isn't arrogant. It bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. And I missed a lot in there. But, but, but Paul's revisiting this idea in chapter 16. And it's his last exhortation. Let all that you be, do be done in love. And that is my final exhortation for you. Until I'm with you again the first Sunday in April. And folks... If everything that you do is done in love between now and then, uh, you're gonna, it's going to be good. It is. It's going to be good in your life. It's going to be good in your home. It's going to be good with your kids. It's going to be good in this church. It's going to be good in this community. Let all that you do be done in love. And I think if we do these five things that we've talked about here this morning, that if we are alert, if we are standing firm, if we are men acting like men, if we are uh, being strong, if we are doing everything in love, I think, folks, if you do these five things and you do them well, when I come back, uh, I think you're going to be doing well, and I think this church is going to be doing well. But more important than that is this. If you do these five things and Christ returns before I do. If you do these five things and Christ returns before I do. And don't kid yourself and think that I'm coming back before Jesus. Don't kid yourself with the idea I'm coming back for Jesus. Because because the only thing we know for sure in life is this. Christ is coming again. You know, I might meet Jesus out on the pavement somewhere with my bike, you know. If I do, just know I died happy, okay? I might be in agony, but I'm happy, all right? I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not, that's not my aim, okay? But, but the, you know, the, the thing is, is that if you're doing these five things, and Christ comes back before I do, I, I think that what you will hear from Jesus is this, well done, well done. Uh, I want to pray for you, and then I want to turn it back over to Matt. Is that okay? Sure. Uh, God, I, I know that you know I love this church. But I also know that you love this church even more than I do. That you will love every single individual here. And you, you care deeply for them in every aspect of their lives. And Lord, I pray that during 90 days with Jesus, we will meet you in a really special way. And that we will be changed as we begin to, to gaze upon Jesus. That you will change us in our thinking. You will change us in our affections. That you will change us in our attitudes and you will change us in our actions. God, help us to be on the alert, anxiously awaiting, in a really good way, your return. To be on the alert, to stand firm, 
to stand firm, to not give ground in our faith, to act like men, to be strong, and to do everything in love. That's my prayer for us, God. That's my prayer for this church and for my life. In Christ's name, amen.